This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Chow. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast, uh, post-week six, pre-week seven of the NFL season. We've got a good show for you today with special guest Todd Furman from Fox Sports. And uh, let's start off by bringing in our producer, Greg Peterson. Greg, welcome back to the show. Dr. Chow, always a pleasure, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's your weekend? How are the games for you? Uh, My Packers are not playing until Monday Night Football, so we're going to see how that all wraps up. But by and large, it was pretty good. Always nice to be able to watch some of those games. And while some people might hate on the 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 6.30 a.m. Pacific time kickoff for some of these games that are played out in London, I always enjoy them. Yeah, uh, so you you put on your furry slippers or you stay in bed and watch it? What do you do? Uh, I'm typically a early morning jogger, so I'm able to listen to the game on my phone. It actually gets me motivated on a Sunday morning. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't mind those games. I got little kids, so I end up waking up uh, early. I just, I just like Sunday this week because it was that one early game, then six games at 10 a.m. Pacific, and then four games at 1 p.m. Pacific. I mean, that's just way better than last week with the 10 and 2 split, right? I mean, 10 games at once, you, you can't. I mean, look, we have the war room and we put all the games on, but it's uh, dizzying to watch it all, and you don't really get the same feel for the uh, for the games. Totally agree with you. It's one of these situations where I wish they would always do it with more of a flip 50-50 split. I understand that you're not going to be able to go like, six and six every week when you've got buys and everything like that. But at the very least, try to at least have four in each block. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, my biggest complaint of the 10 games is you don't even have a way to watch it on Sunday ticket. I mean, they only have an eight box for you. So, (laughs) you know, even if you wanted to, unless you have a fancy setup or whatever, you couldn't watch uh, everything at once. Uh, but let's get into a couple things here uh, as teasers. Uh, we're going to talk about thighs. We're going to talk about nomenclature, what's in a name. And uh, we'll talk about okey-dokes a little bit as uh, well. As thigh injuries or quad contusions are sort of the uh, injury of the last few days or week, I guess, with uh, Amari Cooper with a quad contusion. James Conner appears to have one, and T.Y. Hilton just came off of one. First of all, pads are required. Thigh pads are required in the NFL. But some people try and not wear them still, and what they do wear is very, very, very thin and small. And uh, just because everything, they want to feel light. And uh, if you look at old school pictures, you see big thigh pads. You don't see them on players anymore. So uh, it's a direct contusion injury. 
This is what I think James Conner got in the uh, late in the third quarter of the Charger game yesterday and didn't come back. This is what, in theory, what Amari Cooper is supposed to have, but I don't know that that's what he really has because I didn't see it. He only played three plays. He came in with a thigh issue and then left. I think Amari Cooper's injury, based on video, I don't see a direct contusion. I think it's closer situation to T.Y. Hilton a few weeks ago when he came in with a quad strain, played very well in the first half, then left, didn't play in the second half, missed a game before his return. I My suspicion is Amari is going to miss a game because I don't see a contusion, which is actually easier to manage rather than a strain. But the bottom line is even when you call a say it's a thigh strain or a thigh injury or a quad contusion, they're not all the same. They're not all the same at all. They can be different varying timelines and effects, which kind of brings into what I mean by nomenclature. Whether you call it a thigh or you call it a quad, it really can be the same thing. Thigh is a general term for the front back, the side of the upper leg around the femur. Quad is really more the knee extensor, the specific muscle. But a lot of times, for example, on uh, Tyree Kill, the team said shoulder, but they could have easily said chest with that SC joint injury. It's more chest and shoulder, but it's not not the shoulder. Or teams will say shoulder instead of pack and uh, hide the thing. There's no exact requirement of nomenclature. We'll take another example, Greg. Baker Mayfield is being termed a hip. But it's not a hip joint. It's a hip pointer up on the iliac crest from a direct contusion. This is why you saw him go to his knees when he was twisting his his trunk as he was throwing, because that's where the oblique muscles insert onto the iliac crest or what we would call your belt line, as opposed to the ball and socket joint of your hip. And that's one of the things that I try and do to to not get people confused. Um, You know, look, whether it's a, you say, Sometimes I've had people say to me, oh, you said fibula fracture. You're wrong. They said ankle fracture. Well, it's just using a specific term. Oh, I said ankle and the team said leg. Well, I mean, what's in a name, right? I mean, uh, depending on how you define it, a lot of times you are talking about the same thing. And sometimes you're not talking about the same thing at all. So uh, I think that's uh, kind of uh, what we try and do, whether at the profootball.com website or, uh, you know, on Twitter or on this podcast here, Greg. So that's kind of what we try and do. And before we go to uh, talking about Okie Dokes, this came up in a radio interview. I actually have a big announcement, Greg. Uh, Pro Football Doc has entered the realm of Facebook. I've never really done Facebook. I don't know how to do Facebook. But uh, any podcast listeners that are Facebook people out there, follow or like, or I don't know what the right term is on Facebook, even Greg, maybe you can help me like, okay. Like Facebook. Uh, I I assume you find it by going to pro football doc. Uh, I I don't even know, but uh, we got a few new things coming and uh, the field view for the website is coming. Push notifications are coming. The search feature is up, but now we have a Facebook page. Obviously you can see that, how much I had to do with that, like zero. So I don't even know how to how to do it. But maybe I can communicate with my wife that way. She's on Facebook all the time. Your IT manager? My 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 essentially almost former IT manager now because uh, I'm doing so much stuff from the office and the war room. I mean, look, we've got four 
big screen TVs and then about eight monitors up on the war room on uh, on Sunday. So uh, she's been happily mostly relieved of her duties, <laughs> I think. But I did have to go home early yesterday because I got the your son is not happy. He struck out twice at baseball. All the other dads take him to the batting cage and work with him. And so uh, I got to I got to spend a little extra time there on the home front this week. So the final topic here for the first segment, something I'll call an okie doke. People often ask, and it happened a little bit with Tyreek Hill, and I think it happened with Hunter Henry. I've been there before as the team physician. All right, so this guy's got this injury. Can he go? Well, he's not fully ready. There's a risk of re-injury. It's not unsafe for him to go, but he could go, and you end up negotiating out. All right, red zone snaps or certain routes or certain limited situations and let's say 15 plays. And then the game starts and then all bets are off. Coaches will use them however they want to use them. For Hunter Henry's sake, I don't I didn't think he'd get as many snaps and he ended up with two touchdowns, a bunch of catches and and Game flow, I think, dictated that, right? I mean, the Chargers got down, and he was an effective weapon. They needed the tight end. Why? Because they really couldn't protect after the loss of Mike Pouncey, on top of the loss of uh, or not playing at all this season, uh, Russell Okung. And the Steelers are bringing the heat, so uh, Hunter Henry was probably the main successful target. And so I'm sure the medical staff there got okey-doked a little bit. They were supposed to work Hunter Henry back in, and here comes the flow of the game that changes. Same to, to some extent with Tyreek Hill. I mean, if it's a game-time decision up until the end, uh, I don't know that he was slated to, you know, he obviously caught two touchdowns and, and had 80 yards and played a good number of snaps, probably more than most would have expected. But uh, that's kind of what happens. Uh, once the game starts, uh, as a doctor, if you've cleared him, You've cleared him. I mean, to, to argue about it in game that he's hit his 15 play target is uh, is fruitless. Uh, it's kind of like once you say to your teenager, "You can borrow the car," where they actually go with the car may be pre-negotiated, but you kind of don't have control anymore once you turn over the keys. Are you saying that the teenager doesn't always just go to the grocery store and or one movie theater by themselves and nobody else? Look, uh, I'm saying that uh, the teenager probably has done a lot more than the parents ever even know or caught them for. And, yep. and uh, we've all, we've all uh, done that, I'm sure, ourselves. So with that, let's take a quick break and then we'll bring in uh, our special guest and then finally finish off with our rundown for the week. This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Schell. All right, welcome back to the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Our second segment is always a guest segment. And I'm thrilled to have this special guest on, Todd Furman. You see him all over the place. Uh, He's on Fox Sports with a Lock It In gaming wagering related uh, show on Fox Sports. He's part of the founder of the Bet the Board podcast that I have the pleasure of being on. And I wanted to have Todd on for a while because I'm on his podcast every Monday morning. And uh, I now get to uh, 
turn the tables here and uh, ask him questions. So, uh, Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Dr. Chow. This is essentially like going on the road, though, so I don't have the home field advantage working in my favor. Hopefully, I can silence the crowd and be able to perform at the best of my abilities. Yeah, but this uh, you, you might be the Pittsburgh Steelers going to the L.A. Chargers venue. That was a sight to see. That was sad to uh, to see that there. But uh, And the reason why I say that, Todd, is because I'm probably the worst host in the world. I'm just a doctor looking at injuries, right? And I have not prepped anything to uh, chat with you in this interview. You know why? And it sounds because every time we talk before we get on the Bet the Board podcast or whenever we talk on other things, the conversation just flows so easily. We always have so much to talk about that I kind of didn't worry about it. So there is no gonna, there's not going to be any home field advantage for me. I think you'll feel quite at home. No worries. Looking forward to it, Dr. Chow. And like you said, I mean, so much interesting stuff in the sports wagering world, whether it's football related or otherwise. So looking forward to getting down to some brass tacks. All right. So the first question, I've never asked you this. On Sunday, on Sunday, when all the games are going on, where and how do you watch the games? So I'm a little bit of an introvert in that regard. And what I mean to say, to expound on it further, I typically set my clocks that I'm up at 4.30, 4.45 out here on the West Coast on a Saturday or Sunday during college football season and the NFL. And, and I typically don't leave my house at all during the course of the day outside of maybe to get food or to walk the dog. So I typically will sit in my office and get all three TVs rolling. I'll try and keep Twitter and the desktop flowing as well. But I try and sit in peace and quiet so I can take notes, make sure I don't miss anything during the course of the telecast. And it's a rare exception where I try and come out of that bubble and actually have a social component to my Sunday viewing. So three TVs, split screen two. So how many games do you follow at once? So typically I can follow four games at once and I have capabilities to follow more. The biggest issue that I've found is that if I try and spread myself too thin and a couple weeks ago, I think we had nine or 10 early kickoffs. You can't really get anything out of that first viewing. So for me, I'd rather focus on a couple of games. I'll bounce around during the course of commercials and I'll keep the games cataloged. So if a game gets out of control, there's certain things I'm looking for. I can properly identify them, uh, but I tried to do even more than that in the past and just went back and realized, you know what? I just spent three and a half hours. In theory, I watched eight games, but I really have no major takeaways. So it's easier to watch four or five, kind of understand exactly what I'm seeing, and then go back and watch the other games need be uh, if there was something that I wanted to see or an anomaly in the box score statistics. Gotcha. Well, you know, I, I joke around sometimes that I can finish a Sunday, especially as you said, last week at 10 a.m. There were 10 games, which is ridiculous, right? There were 10 at 10 at 10 and I think two at one. I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. This week was much better. Six and four, right? A much better uh, it's, split. But I, it is definitely easier when the league uh, affords us that luxury of being able to break up the day. Uh, you mentioned last Sunday and I don't know exactly why that was the case. You can always take an East Coast team, chuck them in a late afternoon time slot. Uh, but it seemed this week we definitely had the benefit of splitting the day almost right down the middle. Yeah, I don't know what goes into it. I think some of it is, quite honestly, TV's pre preference with the East Coast-based viewership and league that they want the 1 o'clock games instead of the 4 p.m. games. I'm not sure. But also, you know, if you were an East Coast team and you were playing a West Coast team, 
Would you really want to push the, the, the local time kickoff to 4 p.m.? You might like that early morning advantage. Uh, oh, there's in no some doubt way, about it. I think you want to try and uh, use everything you can to try and keep those body clocks off balance. I will say what's interesting when you look at the betting market years ago, you used to be able to bet on that blindly. So even before a like, single game was played, you'd go through all the West Coast teams and figure out who was playing the proverbial breakfast football game at 10 a.m. on the East Coast. But to odds makers' credit, they've kind of built in a little bit of an adjustment for those. So playing that trend blindly, at least with most franchises, doesn't yield the same advantage it used to about four or five years ago. Absolutely. Well, my joke is I can finish the Sunday and, and you could teleport me back to the future to uh, Sunday morning in Vegas. And I'm not sure how much money I'd be able to make because I, I pay so much attention, attention to injuries that sometimes the outcomes and, and the spreads escape me in terms of what's going on. You have to take full advantage of uh, what you're watching the game for. I know we talk about it quite a bit on Bet the Board. You're watching for injuries. We're watching for in-play opportunities or that little tidbit you may pick up over the course of, hey, it's a week six game. You may not be able to use it to week nine, but you kind of file it away and hope that it'll pay dividends at least some point during the season. Gotcha. How much in-game or in-play are you doing now? Because we know in Europe it's like 70 80% of the action. Honestly, it's gotten significantly more difficult to try and do in-play stuff. Limits are a lot lower than what you'll encounter during halftimes or before games even start. And then to peel back the curtain a little bit, and I'm sure Greg knows a thing or two about this living in Las Vegas, you've had a number of sports books that don't actually offer the full slate of NFL games now because of some contractual issues with the NFL, the official data feeds. So there are a number of sports books out here that would have given you the full slate in previous seasons, but now you may only get one or two of those marquee TV games to try and take advantage. And ultimately, that'll limit some of the edge that you can utilize during the course of a football Sunday. Interesting. I had no idea. Of course, I don't personally gamble at all. I'm in California here, but the website that I'm doing with the injury stuff, I mean, I think hopefully can help you a little bit. And thanks for uh, following along there a, a little bit. Uh, love to hear some of your thoughts. I know you saw the Devontae Adams and we talked about Devontae Adams being out for, the, for this uh, Monday's, for this week's game. Oh, it's huge to get some of that injury information and why it's so great to have you on with us on Monday mornings where we can kind of peel back and look at some of the actual games uh, that are going on. And, hey, we know it's always a gamble, even with some of the injury news. A perfect illustration for a lot of fantasy owners, I'm sure, and betters alike, who are banking on Tyreek Hill being out for Kansas City. It didn't ultimately come back to haunt them as far as that number getting bet from seven down to three and a half this past weekend. Uh, but being able to get out ahead of the line move for Monday Night Football, knowing the Packers would potentially be without Devontae Adams, extremely valuable when you can gain that closing line value by two to two and a half points when it presents itself. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that I try and do, Todd, is, look, everyone knows if Sam Darnold has mono and he's out, right? And everyone knows when Drew Brees is out. But uh, to know, A, when they might come back is helpful. But to me, the, the more impactful stuff off the injury index or otherwise are the things that I'm sure you look at, but I'm sure the average fan doesn't necessarily look at. Like all season long from the get-go, from the preseason injury preview into the very first injury index, consistently I have had the Eagles pass defense downgraded. And uh, that's where you know there were a lot of covers, even the first game with the Redskins, et cetera. The Eagles have been horrific in their secondary and all their injuries, especially at cornerback. And I think it actually hit the radar screen after a few weeks. And uh, especially when Ronald Darby 
was then out because of a hamstring. Well, I already had Ronald Darby graded low because he wasn't going to do well coming off the ACL. So to me, when he was playing, he wasn't playing well because of that, and the Eagles were still being downgraded. But once he was listed as out, I think the Eagles' uh, poor pass defense was getting incorporated into the numbers, and that in some ways takes away the advantage. Well, I think you're spot on. And when you talk about some of the marquee players, um, the Saquon Barkleys of the world, the Todd Gurley, their absences are always going to be built in the number. Odds makers are going to try and reflect that. But you talk about key members of the secondary or the offensive line. They may not be household names, but that's where you can identify a little bit of an edge. And we use the term cluster injuries all the time, that a team can function without the key contributions of one player, but the Dallas Cowboys against the Jets, and it's a game I'm reluctant to admit that I didn't actually bet the Jets, but when you see the Cowboys down a couple of key offensive linemen, it makes that job significantly more difficult. And as you saw, the only movement of on that particular game was when Sam Darnold was upgraded. We saw the eight and a half nines become sevens, and the number really didn't budge off of that key number throughout the course of wagering on Sunday. No, absolutely. And, and at my site, I don't give any uh, wagering advice, but uh, my secret win this week, Todd, was, uh, you know, from last week, I said the Cowboys could be down both starting offensive linemen. I did not think Tyron Smith would play, and I certainly knew Lael Collins with his MCL would not play. But midweek, Jerry Jones was saying one of the one of the two are going to play, and I kind of doubled down and said, I don't think so. It might be wishful thinking because he's only got one swing tackle and he wants wants one of them to play. But, uh, you know, I've gone up against some pundits and and injuries and and been lucky and and even coaches saying stuff. But coaches do misdirection all the time. But I don't remember going up against an owner and being right in in the recent. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I say that in jest and, uh, you know, Jerry's. Awesome. Uh, I love his sound bites, but he says things for effect too. So he probably was telling his boys, Hey, one of you, we, we need you. And, and, you know, I'm not saying that that made the difference in, in the Jets Cowboys game, but that certainly was uh, one, one significant factor. And I love what you say about cluster injuries. I say that all the time. Injuries beget injuries and, and for a lot of different reasons uh, and uh, the, the downstream effect and one of the things we'll have on the on our website shortly too is something called the field view. So what you see by studying, the casual fan can kind of see based on uh, on a visual. You know, oh gee, uh, uh, you know the D lines dinged up, or the left side of the offensive line, or wh- whatever the case may be. It's just an easier visual. And that's the whole thing. There's so many different ways and handicappers approach uh, dissecting an NFL board or any other sport for that matter, whether it's with injuries to give them the edge, whether it's qualitative through reading, quantitative through spreadsheets and mathematical analysis. I think that's part of the fun, the challenge and the headaches that uh, this business as a whole can really induce because just when you think you've had the market cornered, it becomes a moving target and you almost have to start from ground zero all over again. Yeah, no, no, no question. And, and you know, uh, since we talked about the Eagles, some Eagles fans gave me grief that were new to the injury index. They were like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. The Eagles have one of the top run defenses in the league. Why is their, is their run defense graded poorly this week uh, or been graded poorly? All I grade is health health of the projected starters and then the people behind them. Now, if their scheme works or their backups are really good, 
I don't put that into the grade at all. I'm just giving the health grade. In some ways, it's like saying at the combines, this is his 40 time. But if he has game speed and you still want to draft him, he's still a good player. It's just one facet of, of what's going on. Now, if that injury information matches up with what, Todd, you're looking at in terms of scheme or other things, then that's when I think you can maybe uh, go to town on some of the stuff. But that's for everyone to decide individually. It definitely plays a big role. I think every handicapper out there who does this professionally almost has a checklist, whether it's actually tangible or something they run through in their head. You want to make sure your strongest positions and when you're going to place your biggest bets, everything is kind of lining up for that. Now, full disclosure, those don't always come to fruition, and that's why you aim to achieve about a 55 to 56% success rate. But if you're hitting those bigger bets more often than not, it's going to pay dividends, and it'll allow you to uh, turn this into a very profitable pursuit. Unfortunately, there's only about 2% of folks out there that can say that they do this pretty seriously with a professional lean. Yeah, and most people say, you would agree, I was in college in some ways is easier, right, than, than NFL because there's so much information on the NFL. You know what? It It's gotten better over the years. I mean, a lot of people talk about college basketball being the most inefficient markets, and I've seen some of the sharpest bettors in the world actually struggle early on because while they may have the playing field leveled with bookmakers who are hanging numbers on a myriad of sporting events, you're opening yourself up to a little bit more volatility. But there's no doubt when you look at the college board each and every week, there's always going to be one or two numbers that are way off from where they should be compared to the NFL, which is pretty efficient. Now, the $100 million question always remains, can you identify those one to two numbers a week? And I don't think anybody out there is going to say, hey, we hit you know, 80 to 90% of our bets. And if they are, they're lying to you. And that's why you hope that every six out of 10, if you're able to produce that kind of win percentage, uh, you're sitting in rarefied air. Yeah, and uh, I certainly can't tell you what happens in college. I don't follow it except when someone sends me a, a video clip on Twitter. Uh, I, I get enough side eye from my wife about all the NFL stuff that I do. I don't dare <laughs> venture <laughs> venture into college football territory. Uh, I couldn't even uh, tell you anything going on in, in the in that in that world. So 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 far this season, you know. Uh, what do you what do you have identified, Todd, as some of the biggest surprises or the newest trends that that you're seeing? I mean, if we're talking about teams, I think there were a couple sides we were down on, and I'll openly admit that I thought the Saints were going to be a commodity that you could look to sell at the top of the market. Uh, they've actually cost me a decent a bit decent bit of cash uh, over the early portion of the schedule as they've gone from probably one of the more overvalued sides to being slightly undervalued with Teddy Bridgewater, and we've seen them really step up their level of play defensively. Uh, as far as the Rams, this was a team that we identified in a similar vein that thought they would take a step back, and they've really bottomed out a little bit faster than I thought, highlighted by that woeful performance offensively over the weekend against the 49ers in what should have been a great situational spot. Now, as far as the overall market's concerned, Dr. Chow, and when we look at it, I think it's always fascinating because it is dynamic, it is changing. You've seen more and more books look to kind of extend some of their player prop offerings as you have more competitors out there. But at the same time, we've seen a little bit more reluctance from some of the derivative markets. And what I mean there, first half's opening a little bit later than what they have in the past. But we're also seeing the board typically move much more 
on Monday mornings, whereas years and years ago when you had the big bettors that controlled a lot of the market, they'd wait till Thursdays when limits really started to open up. That'd be their opportunity to pounce. And I think a lot of guys now are trying to figure out, hey, what can we get down on a Monday? How can we take advantage of the best numbers? Or do we just have the board kind of shrink as we wait till, wait till later in the week rather than tipping our hand to the bookmakers? Now, when you place your wagers, are you... Uh on an app? Are you going in? How are you, without giving away any secrets, what, how do you do it typically on a computer? What's your, what's your method? You know, for the most part now, it's all primarily done on the app. Uh, the limits are going to be a little bit lower there than sometimes what you can get over the counter. Uh, but there are only so many hours in the day and to be able to take advantage of numbers, you know, minutes before you think they're going to start to move, uh, you have to be spread out and kind of diversify that portfolio uh, is a line I like to use. Because if you're just betting on one or two apps, you're limiting some of the upside. So as we've seen more and more books get involved in the increased competition out here in Nevada, which is actually a far cry from what folks have access to these days in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, it's important to have your money kind of spread out so you can take advantage of a halftime number here, a full game number there, a money line that'll give you five or 10 cents worth of value. It's a lot easier and more convenient. At the same time, you can't move money as aggressively as you could in the old days when you physically had to go in and place your bets over the counter. Gotcha. Any uh, thoughts uh, going forward into week seven or, or trends for the, the second half of the season that you're seeing? Well, I think the best advice that I can give to folks out there who may be uh, more, more novices or treating NFL as a recreational pursuit, don't ever overreact to what you've seen through only a handful of data points. Uh, there are a lot of these teams won't look anything close when we start talking about them in November and December to how they've looked through September and October. You highlight a game on Sunday Night Football. It's probably not a side that I'll be invested in between the Cowboys and Eagles, but we were extremely bullish on the Eagles coming into the season. You mentioned some of the injuries that have kind of plagued their secondary. Now they're dealing with some offensive line concerns. That's a team that I still think is going to be undervalued. I'm interested to see how the market responds. And while everybody wants to talk about the undefeated 49ers, they want to talk about the Saints, don't sleep on Philadelphia. I think they're going to have a lot to say about the NFC playoff picture before the dust ultimately settles. Yeah, and uh, you know uh, what happens with injuries from my perspective is that uh, on a good team, which I think the Eagles are, uh, as players get healthy, but also as backups uh, weather the storm, right, and get used to their new roles, et cetera, and settle into their roles, the the effect gets blunted of the starters being out. And I see the Eagles finally getting healthier soon. And quite honestly, the injuries are now happening to the Cowboys as we foreshadow next week. I think uh, Tyron Smith might have a chance to play, but I don't think Lael Collins will play next week. And uh, Amari Cooper, in my mind, is uh, doubtful as we talk about on this uh, podcast here. So uh, there are some issues going the other way uh, now for the for the Cowboys as well. I'm right there with you. Sometimes uh, opportunities breed success later on in the season. And as you mentioned, if you can weather the storm as far as overall depth is concerned, especially in a league like the National Football League, where it's all about attrition, what can be a hindrance early on can be a massive benefit later in the year. Of course, if we're talking about season-ending in injuries, all bets are off. Uh, but if it's for three to six weeks and you can keep your head above water as we get into the games that mean a lot more in late December and early January, uh, I think you definitely see that experience kind of manifest itself. And it's part of what's made New England so successful. It's that next man up mentality. And while a lot of franchises will say it, they go out there and execute because they are so much better than 98% of the league when it comes to overall player development.
Yeah, and I think uh, some of it is uh, job security, right? I mean, in New England, you can try whatever you want and you can rip up a, a working playbook because your personnel has changed or due to injuries and no one's going to second guess you. So I think there's, there's, there's some of that as well. Right there with you. Couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more on that particular sentiment. All right. Well, uh, Todd, thanks for uh, coming on and uh, always fun to uh, chat with you here and get to do it every week. And uh, the Pro Football Doc listeners, if uh, you want more gambling type information, wagering information, uh, Todd and Payne at Bet the Board do a great job. I, I actually learn a lot talking to them before I get on the air with them and, and after on their, on their podcast. The feeling is mutual, Dr. Chow. I won't claim to be an injury expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So being able to create a mending of the two worlds between the injury side and what we tend to look for in the betting markets, whether it's an hour before kickoff or four days before, is extremely invaluable. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners out there are lucky enough to take a look at that injury index every day and encourage them to uh, use that as one of the more useful tools that they'll find, especially as they start to dip their toes into the gambling waters. All right. Thanks, Todd. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back for our uh, injury rundown. It is typical for uh, segment three of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. If you found $100 on the street and nobody was around to claim it, would you take it? Of course you would. So why do you keep picking winners without getting something for it? That's why you should head to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win at MyBookie.ag. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. It's also important to be confident when you're betting. Losing your original wager? Time to hedge at halftime? MyBookie offers a full menu of in-game bets. And if you like to bet a little to win a lot, check the parlays. And if that's not enough, this is more than enough. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit up to $1,000. Use the promo code ProFootballDoc to activate the offer. Again, mybookie.ag and the promo code ProFootballDoc. MyBookie. You play. You win. You get paid. More now with Dr. David Chow, the Pro Football Doc. All right, welcome back from the break there. Todd Furman is always fun to chat with. And let's run through our uh, rundown, injury rundown here by position, Greg. We'll start with quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, we talked about a little bit in the first segment. It's a left hip pointer. With Even without the Browns bye, I think he would be fine for the next week. Uh, but with the bye, I see no issues. He may be a little sore there, but uh, he'll be fine by the time the next next time the Browns play. Drew Brees is getting closer. He's at week five. I do not think he plays this week. He could play week six. Knowing Drew, he'll want to play. When I say week six, I mean six weeks after his injury. Uh, so that uh, is in two weeks. And then after that, the the uh, Saints have a bye. The team might hold them out. They might say, uh, let's just give you the extra time, Drew, and not risk it. Uh, because they're rolling well with Teddy Bridgewater. Of course, Drew is not going to lose his starting job and uh, might utilize the bye. I don't think uh, Breeze is playing this week. He could play next week against the following week against the Cardinals, or they may wait till after the the bye the following week. But thankfully, uh, we don't have a ton of quarterback injury issues. 
Running back injury issues. The first one is um, uh, everyone talks about is Saquon Barkley. Uh, I think he does finally have a chance to play this week. He tweeted out something about him being back shortly. The question will be is how confident do the Giants feel about aggravation? We said from the get-go four to six weeks this week would make the fourth week. So I think it is possible for him to return. Meanwhile, Alvin Kamara was a game-time decision on his ankle, but apparently he left the game at halftime for a knee issue, a knee issue that I think he suffered fairly early, his second carry. Very mild MCL sprain. He missed one series, came back, finished the first half, and then left the game. I think that's mild. I don't think he's going to miss much time, if at all, for this uh, knee. Of course, if the ankle isn't 100% and the knee isn't 100%, he might miss one week. I don't see anything big on Alvin Kamara, and I hope hopefully that's good news for the Saints. And then uh, a bunch of wide receiver issues and injuries here to deal with. Uh, let's start with, uh, uh, for this Thursday, Tyreek Hill uh, finished the game, did well, about 80 yards, two touchdowns, looked good. And I think he'll have more usage this week. And uh, Sammy Watkins should be back as well. One game absence, really two game absence from hamstring. He didn't play the week before, even though he was uh, active. And then uh, missed this last week here. So the uh, Chiefs finally getting a little a little bit healthier, especially at wide receiver. They'll have both their speed burners back, I believe, for this Thursday versus the Broncos. They'll still be a little short on the left side of the offensive line and short on the D line, but at least they're headed in the right direction there for the game. And um, uh, Emmanuel Sanders apparently was a mild knee issue. He left the game, but uh, he should be available for Thursday as well. So that should be fun to see all those uh, speedsters ready to go for Thursday. Looking forward to welcoming back A.J. Green. I believe this coming Sunday is the first time that is realistic that he could play. This is going to be week seven here. Uh, and uh, look, if the Bengals had put him on injury reserve, he wouldn't be eligible to play until week nine. So they're still under that number. There's no guarantee that A.J. Green is playing this week, but I think this is the first week he has a realistic chance. Amari Cooper might not be so lucky. Uh, he left with that thigh contusion, but I think it's more of a strain. So we talked about in segment one. I think he may miss the showdown with the Eagles, whereas Deshaun Jackson, I think, is targeting that game to play, even though he has a core muscle injury. Sterling Shepard might be a little wild, given that uh, it was his second concussion in five weeks. The Giants did activate another wide receiver. You can't predict concussions, but when you have two in relatively close close proximity. Sometimes uh, it just takes longer to clear, so we'll follow that. And Marquise Lee left with a right boot on. There was a report of a foot injury. It might be a mild high ankle based on video, but Marquise Lee is likely not to play this uh, this coming week. Tight ends, uh, you know, we did have some good news with uh, Hunter Henry playing and looking good. I think uh, George Kittle Played well, eight catches, 100-plus yards with his groin strain, and I don't think he aggravated it, so that's good news for him and the 49ers. Evan Ingram is on the mend for the Giants with his MCL. He might have a chance this week. The only bad news at tight end is Will Disley. 
Will Disley with what appears to be by video a left Achilles rupture. And this is really too bad. Second year in a row for him. Disappointing. Last year it was the right patella tendon, and he made a great recovery. And now it's the left Achilles tendon. By the time we post this, I think it'll be confirmed. It's not confirmed right now as we record the podcast. But his season is done, and we'll end up needing some surgery there. There's a few key defensive injuries. Um, the biggest one I'm worried about is Stefan Tuitt. There's worry for a right pec injury that may be a pec tendon rupture. If that gets confirmed, that means surgery in the end of his season. Let's hope not. Some offensive line injuries. On the Rams, left guard Joe Noteboom with an MCL. Both Cowboys off uh, tackles may not be back for this next week yet. We'll have to see. Titus Howard had some good news. I think he avoided a major injury, and it's a partial MCL. He might be four weeks or so, but at least it's no surgery and no injury reserve for the the Texans' right tackle, Titus Howard. Some good news there. Moving back to defensive injuries after Stephon Tuitt, Devin Bush, who was a beast early on against the Chargers, slowed down later with a left ankle inversion sprain, finished the game was a little bit hampered. I don't think that's anything long-term to worry about. The Cowboys have some uh, cornerback issues. Byron Smith and uh, Anthony Brown may have both left with hamstring issues. A couple other cornerbacks, uh, Bradley Roby of the Texans with a hamstring. Josh Johnson, DB safety for the Rams with a right shoulder subluxation injury. He beat the odds and came back and played, but then left after that with that shoulder issue. Uh, We'll have to see how long he might miss. Uh, Dre Kirkpatrick hyperextended his knee. I don't think he has any major ligament damage, but likely a bone bruise. He likely is going to be at least a few weeks for the uh, Bengals there. So that's kind of a quick rundown there, Greg, uh, of injuries. uh, I guess in some ways you can say it was a uh, good week there, so to speak. Anything that I uh, missed there or any questions from Twitter sphere or anything like that? I'm taking that? a look, and it looks like you addressed all the major ones, so good job on you. <laughs> well, you know, I don't mind that the segment is a little bit shorter, right? I mean, A, people probably get here to, tired of listening to my voice, and B, if there's less, less injuries, uh, I'm happy with that. I'm still doing a little research, by the way, on Chris Thompson. He left that uh, Redskins-Dolphins game. And uh, it's a foot issue, but I haven't seen good video on that that, that yet. So we'll have to uh, report back on uh, Chris Thompson there. And perhaps one other defensive injuries. Boy, if the Jets uh, can continue to look good and get C.J. Mosley back, I think he finally is getting close. That would uh, help them tremendously, even though they had a pretty good showing already against the Cowboys. All right, so let's uh, finish off with Beast of the Week here. And uh, there's always... Lots of different considerations. I'm going to have to give it this week to uh, Sam Darnold of the Jets. Not only did his did he lead his team to victory over the Cowboys, and he wore the flak jacket for the spleen. A couple reasons I'll give it to Sam Darnold. First of all, there was no rust, right? He played pretty darn well after his absence there. But think about this. As much as he says he's fine and he's good to go, Greg, you and I, we all know, and listeners, we all probably know people who have missed a month from mono and even, quote, if you got it in college, 
dropped out of school for for a semester or a quarter because there's the fatigue factor and other things, the weight loss, a lot of other factors other than just getting rid of the mono symptoms. And Sam Darnold didn't look any worse for the wear. Uh, he was back. He seemed 100%. Uh, look, if you miss four weeks from, from college classes and drop a semester, this is NFL football. So uh, the young 22-year-old Jets quarterback will make him the beast of the week for his excellent recovery from uh, mono. All right, so remember, uh, Pro Football Doc is now on Facebook. Please uh, do a like, as my young millennial friend Greg says to do. I'm not even sure what that means, but like Pro Football Doc. That would be appreciated. And uh, you can get information there. Otherwise, we'll see you on the website, at Twitter, or back on the podcast next week. Uh, thank you very much for listening.